Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Some of you are familiar with the name Sir Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary failed in his early attempts to climb Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. On one occasion, he had to leave five associates dead on the side of the mountain. Still, the British Parliament wanted to recognize these valiant efforts, so they invited Hillary to come to their chambers, and they even placed a picture of Mount Everest in front of the room. When Sir Edmund Hillary entered the room, the members of Parliament rose to give him a standing ovation. When he saw these great legislators standing and applauding his good effort, tears filled his eyes. Many members of Parliament noticed that the tears and thought, wow, look, the tears of happiness that we are regarding his great efforts that he's made. But those weren't the tears of happiness and joy. They were the tears of anger and frustration. Sir Edmund Hillary certainly had not set out to leave five associates dead on the side of the mountain. So he walked up to the front of that room and literally pounded the picture of Mount Everest. And he screamed at the mountain in the picture when he said, you defeated me, but you won't defeat me again because you have grown all that you can, but I'm still growing. Isn't there a great story along that same line from David Livingston? David Livingston worked for Africa and he came back to England, to return to England briefly, there again, time to be able to recognize his great effort. And somebody greeted him and said, well, Dr. Livingston, where are you going to go now? And Livingston responded, I'm ready to go anywhere, provided it is forward. When you think of what Hillary said to that mountain, You've grown all that you can, but I am still growing. Now, those those are the words of someone who's really out to be able to conquer that mountain. And what we have here in 2 Peter, uh, or or 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, is some very special words that Peter talks about with the idea of growth. He uses the term to grow. Peter was older by the time he wrote this. The Lord Jesus had been gone, taken up to heaven probably 30-some years But by the time he wrote this. And yet he was saying to his, the congregations that he was writing to, and First and Second Peter what we call general epistles. They're written to groups of church, to groups of people. But he knew these folks, and he knew the issues that they were facing and some of the problems that they had. So he says in verse 1 of Second Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Peter was interested in the people growing. And that's something that we need to always kind of focus our lives on is talking about the idea of growth. Do we ever think to ourselves, I don't need to grow anymore. I'm done. I've plateaued. I'm finished. I'm just going to exist. But yet the Bible tells us that we are to continue to grow. And Peter in his older years was challenging the people that he was writing to to grow. But they had obstacles to that growth that he talks about in that very first word or very first verse of that passage of Scripture. In fact, when he's in the first three verses, 
He talks about some issues of keeping them to grow for themselves individually. Becoming a member of God's family initiates a lifelong building program. I love to watch buildings being constructed. I've always enjoyed that. I always like seeing the foundations go in, how the various utilities work and the walls, all that was constructed. When I was a kid, um, of course, my dad had a wood, wood company, but my dad didn't know how to nail, nail or to drill a screw in. I never saw my dad ever change a light bulb or mow the grass, but my dad ran a company, and he did it well. And he had sons that did all the stuff for him. And um, but when I was about 12, a street was put in behind our house. And, uh, and there was a couple houses being constructed. And one of them was constructed nice, one-level house that was being constructed by an individual who owned the property. And he worked, for those of you familiar with NCR, NCR, National Cash Register, used to have a big factory in our town. And he worked for there during the daytime. And he got off at work. He worked from 7 to 3 in the afternoon. And he would come off, and I would, I would sit there after school and wait for him to come to the, to the house site. And he would come every day, and he would work on his house. And I would mosey over there through the backyard and talk to Mr. Blair. Don Blair was his name. And I'd talk to him, and i said, what are you doing now? What, what, what are you working on now? And he'd have some people come in and out working with him. And uh, so I'd say, how, how do you do that? How do, how do you do that? And he was very kind to this grungy little boy who was uh, 12 years old looking at what uh, was going on. And, um, and so he talked to me about all the things about the construction project of his house. And he even let me come to the point where he was putting down uh, his flooring and he let me pound nails into the floor knowing I couldn't do any damage with that. And he let me help him with putting up the stud walls and, and roof rafters and all kinds of stuff. And so I went back to my mother when the project was about over with his house. And I said to her, her, my mom, I said, could I build a shed in our backyard from all that I've learned from Mr. Blair? I was shocked. She said, yes, it's fine. How big a shed do you want to make? Well, I want to make a 12 by 16 shed, fair size. And she said, do you know what you're doing? Sure. <laughs> I'm 12. I've watched him build his house. I know what I'm doing. And so I was amazed. I would never do this as a parent. My parents allowed me to buy an electric saber saw, a circular saw, drills, all kinds of stuff. And um, head of the house, I built this foundation out of block, gravel, I didn't pour any concrete, but I spent out and put flooring in, put joisting in, all the stuff that I had learned from watching Mr. Blair. I put in this house, this building, I put two windows in it, two uh, nice windows in it, a door, a roof, shingles, and it stayed there for 20 years. And, uh, but I always enjoyed that project. And I'm glad I didn't kill myself doing it. But at the same time, I learned from watching an individual. And the apostle, and Peter is trying to tell the folks, are you growing? Are you learning? Are you developing? But there's things that's holding you back from that process. 
And so in beginning to that, he starts out and he looks at the situation and he says to them, laying aside, that is, get rid of, so that'd be more of a word that we would get used to with us. He says, are you getting rid of these things? And then he talks about the fact as newborn babes. Now, are, does that mean he's writing to new Christians? I don't think so. I mean, Peter wasn't a new Christian. Many of the people probably that had been with him and he was writing to were probably folks that had, been, had known the Lord for 30 years. The idea is that as newborn babes want to grow, and they want nourishment all the time, that God's people should always want that at any level of their lives as far as their development spiritually. And so it's very, very important that we, we see that. So then he says this. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice. Laying aside is the idea there of um, uh, somebody who is just uh, has this desire. He said, don't, don't let that happen. Don't crave. Don't be involved with, with something that will destroy you. And so he said, don't let that happen. Laying it aside. Get rid of it. And then the idea is, is that you have a continuous desire to do these things, to grow in the Lord that he tells you about. Um, and actually, if you go back just the previous chapter, that you'll see in verse 23, the previous chapter, that he's going to see a little bit of this. He says, uh, verse 23, um, uh, that he says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass, the grass withereth, flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And by this the word of the Lord of the gospel is preached unto you. So there's, here's what we need to understand. We need to grow by the word of God. We need to develop where you're born again, but you need to grow. You need to see that continual growth. And so then he lists in chapter 2, he lists for us five Five sins that are attitudes that people allow themselves to fester with that causes stale growth or just non-growth in their spiritual lives. And the first one is this idea of malice. Now that's, that's an interesting word, malice. It's a similar attitude, um, an attitude similar to hatred, which is a desire to inflict pain or injury on another person. We have that sometimes with our staff when they give me bad time. <laughs> Stephen Thompson likes to pick at me um, with my Christmas decorations. And so he asked me, so when are you putting up your little characters out there? Because I know last year when he came as a new guy, he did little things to it every day or so, just to be able to give me a hard time. So he can't wait for it. And I just said, well, I hope you're not going, you better not do it. I said, oh yeah. And he's looking forward to it. He's, he's looking to inflict pain and injury upon another person. You know, when I think of the word malice and I think of that idea of inflicting pain, what's the word that begins with the G? Do you see this becoming a response to people around us? And I think of the word grudge. People can hold grudges, and they can do that in church. People say, oh, I don't like that guy. I don't like that gal. I don't like that couple. You know, they're, they're just, you know we, we're just better if we just don't, don't fellowship with them. We sit over here, and they sit over there. 
and that we'll just keep it that way. And, um, but the, the idea is there, you, he's, he's letting you know, look, this is happening in your churches. You're allowing malice, you're allowing grudges to cause division to keep you from growing. Now, that's pretty honest that Peter writes this, and he's letting you know that there's more to it than just that. He says, and all guile. Now, guile is an old English word which basically means deceit. So deceit is the idea of, refers to deliberate dishonesty. Um, speaking or acting with ulterior motives. Sounds like politics to me. And, um, but this vice is many times done to hurt people for personal gain. So in other words, if I can cause deceit, if I can act dishonestly, it might be of a benefit to me. And we see that in our country. You see that a lot of times in our political system around us. So deceit is something that, that harms us. As newborn babes, we can't do this. So we lay aside, we get rid of malice. And he, not just some malice, he says all malice, all guile. And then the third word he gives is hypocrisy. It's interesting that the word hypocrisy actually means to answer. A hypocrite originally um, was simply a person who would answer someone. Then the word later was used for an actor because he would take part in interactive narratives, but later to be used for a person acting out a part and concealing true motives. In other words, acting out a part that wasn't him. And so that's what a, a character actor would be. And so that's very, so the word here is kind of given that idea. Don't allow yourself to be involved in malice, in guile, or acting out a part that's really not you. In other words, not being genuine. We ought to be able to see God's people as genuine. They genuinely love one another, genuinely love the Lord, genuinely love God's word, genuinely love to pray. That we don't do these things just because we say, well, I'm expected to do them. That's not the way it is at all. All right, he gives a fourth one, hypocrisies and envies. Envies. That's a desire to possess what another person has. Um, but then that is resentful discontent. So a person that's living under envy is a person who looks at other people and say, I can't associate with them because they're in a different economic class than I am. Phooey! That's an old English term. But the, the idea is, is that God's people should not look at the idea that we fellowship with those of us or those who are on the same level as we are. Educated, whatever. Racial, ethnical, whatever that we feel like we got to be on that level. That's not the way it is at all, that we don't envy people along that line and allow it to cause resentment. But then he gives another one. He says, um, envies and all evil speaking, as if the apostle Peter is saying, okay, in case I've missed something, I'm going to give a general term. The apostle Paul would do that when he made lists like in Ephesians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, and he says, and everything else, that's, that's, it. that's what is like I've given you before. So the idea is, is the evil speaking, and um, that he tells you evil and all evil speaking, slander, speaking against somebody. It's a speech of delivery assaults the character of another person. God's people should never be thought of that way, and therefore it, it hinders growth. So God's grace is no excuse 
to behave in as we please. And a lot of times people hide under that term. Well, let's just live by grace. Well, wait a minute. How are you acting? Are, are, are you a person who is involved in malice, evil speaking, envying, so forth? Well, I just live by God's grace. Well, wait a minute. Where's holiness in all of this? Where's godliness in all of this? Don't allow those things to, to keep an incentive for spiritual growth. We need to be able to say, Lord, help me to grow. Then the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Peter, is now, he's focused on, a, on like looking at the individuals, looking at the people. But then he talks about the fact that, uh, so how is this affecting everyone around you? And he gives a beautiful illustration found in the Old Testament that is there for us, beginning at verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone. A living stone. We haven't seen too many of those in our lifetime. But he's like this, that in my, I'm coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. And then he talks about these passages of scripture from Jeremiah and other places. He says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them his which, are dis, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and the rock of offense. So all that is the idea here, what's, what the people are seeing that's hindering their growth together. And he uses the illustration of a house, a building. And with that, he's talking about this living stone. But there's a great expression that he talks about with this living stone. He talks about it having value. He said, it is precious. It is precious. That's in verse 4. It's chosen of God and precious, a living stone. That's a great expression. Old Testament priests, back in the Old Testament, talked about a lot of times of the spiritual building, and they had stones that they wore that were precious, and beautiful, involved in their sacrifices and so forth. And so Peter uses these two pieces of Old Testament prophecy that were found in Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118 that are quoted here in this passage of scripture to illustrate the centrality of Christ in the life of the individual Christian. That first the picture is a precious cornerstone. So that's, that's at the foundation. If you go across the street uh, to our old church, Northeast Baptist Church, you'll notice there, and you know what I'm talking about, there is a cornerstone that talks about when the church was started or when the church, that building was built and it's there to remind us that this is the building that was built and what, time, what year that was. I think it's 1962. So I remember seeing that, that on that stone. But that's, that's this cornerstone. But then he gives the idea of a capstone, the top in Psalm 118. So he's basically saying, look, how's your life with Christ like? Do you see him as a living stone that's precious to you, that affects the way you live? Realize that he is the foundation and the beginning and the end. From the beginning to the, to the top, that's who Christ is. So the Apostle Peter is letting us know, okay, what, how are you going to grow? Are you going to lay aside all these things, these five things? 
But then you also got to realize how important is Christ to you? Do you see him as, as the cornerstone? Do you see him as the capstone, the beginning and end of everything that you think and do? Is that him in the way we live? Skip down to verse 9. Then there's more of a familiar passage of scripture. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Wow. Showing forth. And that's a great expression. That you should show forth. You know the word show forth is the word we would use today as advertise. Now, good people in business know the value of advertising. Now that we have you know, electronic devices with us, what's the thing that irritates us the most? Ads, ads, ads. Everywhere we look at ads, why? Because business people know they're gonna sell their product and they've gotta advertise and they're willing to pay for it. So it's, it's everywhere, it's advertising. You go to a ball game, <laughs> advertisements all over the walls and all over the buildings and the screens and everywhere else. Business people know the value of that. And this is talking about God's people. Who are you? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that you should advertise the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we're afraid of that. And we don't do that real well. Sometimes advertisements make us irritable, because, but at least they're there. And we realize how important that is, and we hear about products and services through advertisements. At the same time, God's people need to realize, Lord, how am I getting out the praise? How, how am I showing the praises of God in the way I live? So that's very important. And so we're living out the declaration of his praises that he begins in verse 11 of this passage of Scripture. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, and notice how the language that he uses as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the gentiles remember this is all in the com uh, all in the context of growth how are you going to grow well you got to get rid of five things over here and you got to realize who the lord jesus christ is and keep him central and you've got to advertise him. You've got to show forth his praise through your life. But then he's also telling you now, be careful. Abstain from things that are going to hurt you in time to come. And that's very important. And he uses interesting terms. He talks about the fact, abstain from fleshly, or he talks about the fact that you are strangers. That's the same word we use today of aliens. He said, I beseech you, as aliens and pilgrims. We don't like to think of ourselves as pilgrims. We like to think of ourselves as outstanding citizens. And yet the Bible always uses that term of pilgrim. You read Pilgrim's Progress with John Bunyan. You realize this simple fellow. Realize how much he knew one of the Lord and trusted the Lord. And he's going through life and so forth. And he ends up going to heaven and, uh, at the end. But you realize that he classifies himself as a pilgrim. But then Peter also says, you're, a, you're an alien, you're a stranger. In other words, you're not going to be accepted by everybody. <clears throat> you're not, see, I'm not speaking to teenagers here. It's been a long time ago since they were teenagers. But anyway, 
But with teenagers, they struggle with wanting to be accepted, want other kids to like them. Well, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, I beseech you that you act as aliens and pilgrims and abstain from the fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And that's a great expression. It doesn't just cause you difficulties. It is war. Much like, much like what we're seeing on television today, this whole idea of it warring against the soul, the sinful desires that war against the soul. And yet, um, um, we would like to be able to think of ourselves as citizens and servants and husbands and wives. Peter talks to us about we're pilgrims, we're strangers, and how we're supposed to act. And then he says this, having your conversation, that's the way you live, having that conversation, um, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, that they may be, that they may by your good works, which shall, you shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. All of that is about the idea of growth. How are we being perceived? Are we advertising, showing forth the praises of the Lord? How are we doing that? And are we keeping ourselves from those five things he talks about in the very first part of the chapter that keep us from doing, the, that keep us from being godly the way we ought to be? And then looking at our lives in the future and saying, okay, how do I think about myself? I think about myself as an important person? No. One time, I'll close with this. One time when I was home, my dad, and I wish you could have gotten to know my dad. He's a very interesting individual. Um, had a company, <clears throat> owned farms, um, messed around with politics, did a lot of different things. But he loved history. It doesn't run in our family at all. And, uh, one, but he loved cemeteries. That tells you a lot about me, doesn't it? And uh, so one time he drove me into the cemetery. He said, I want to take you and show you the most important person that ever came out of Fayette County. The most famous person ever came out of Fayette County. So he took me back to the back part of the cemetery, to this large edifice, beautiful limestone edifice. And on the top of it was a name. Now, this hadn't been that long ago, probably 20 years ago he showed me this. I didn't recognize the name. But the name of the, of the individual was Harry Doherty. Anybody know that name? No. Let me tell you, Harry Doherty, was in, he was um, Attorney General of the United States back in the presidency of, of Warren G. Harding. And he was involved in what was called the Teapot Dome Scandal. For those of you who remember your history, or know anything about Ohio history, which was a big deal in our state and caused uh, Orangey Harding to have to abdicate the presidency or caused him to have a heart attack. He died, but, but it, it ruined his presence. And that was all done because there were several men, and Doherty was one of them, that ascended to a great national prominence 
but ended his life in disgrace. When we think to our lives, where are we spiritually? Am I trying to attain to be able to have a big edifice with my name? For people and generations to come to say, this is the most famous people. Or else am I here to be able to say, show forth the praises of God in everything that you do. That's growth. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.